to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of The Toolkit. One of the biggest misconceptions I see from independent filmmakers is this idea that personal filmmaking is somehow diametrically opposed to genre filmmaking. I can think of no better example of just how short-sighted this belief is than a new film, Always Shine, uh, which was directed by my guest today, Sophia Takal. Sophia was an actress a couple years ago who found herself becoming overwhelmed with these incredible feelings of competitiveness and jealousy directed towards actresses and other friends of hers. And she, takes, she took these emotions and decided to process them in the making of Always Shine, which is a story of uh, two actresses played by Mackenzie Davis and Caitlin Fitzgerald who go on a weekend trip to Big Sur to attempt to patch up a troubled friendship. It's easy to imagine how this setup could be made into a quiet, realistic film, likely drawing from real-life scenarios from Sophia's life. But instead what she did was she takes these very real emotions and by adding a layer of horror, and she creates a cinematic experience where we can feel just how dangerous and consuming these emotions can be, while at the same time she's playing with form and subjectivity to tackle larger ideas of the roles women play on and off screen. It's a wonderful film. Uh, Sophia was a great guest, so I think you're going to enjoy this, uh, this podcast. Before we jump into that, I want to give you a quick preview. Next Tuesday, we'll be dropping a new podcast featuring senior film critic uh, David Ehrlich, uh, talking about his uh, Top 25 video countdown. If you've never seen one of David's uh, end-of-the-year videos, there are these wonderful, beautifully crafted journeys through the best, uh, best films of the year. David puts hundreds of hours into to making these. They're a real labor of love, and I want to talk to him about a, how he puts them together. On that same podcast, a uh, film and a filmmaker, I'm sure that will be featured in David's uh, countdown. Uh, Things to Come director, Mia Hansen-Louvre. Um, she's a, just a great French filmmaker. Uh, she brought us Eden a couple years ago. Um, her new film uh, starring Isabelle Hubert, which comes out today, Friday, uh, is great. Got to talk to her when she was in town uh, for the New York Film Festival a couple months ago. Uh, and now, here's my conversation with Sophia Takal. General sense that I had when I was watching your movie is, is a reminder of how hard it is to be an actress, psychologically. Yeah. Like, the damage and the, like, all you go through is, is I mean, I know you were an actress. Is that kind of a stemming point for this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the life of an actress is one of the hardest and most traumatic thing, like things you could do. You're just constantly putting yourself out there to be judged by how you look, how, like, how sexy you can be, how attractive you can be. So few parts for women are interesting or complex and you're like, you know, expected to wear makeup and look a certain way and um, there's anxiety about getting old and there's all of that stuff. But also a, a big thing for me was that actresses, making this movie about actresses was more about the way actresses are emblematic of how women perform in their day-to-day -day life. And I think it's, you know, it's, actresses are a heightened, like those two women are living in a heightened world of what I think a lot of women go to on a day-to-day -day level of feeling like they're being scrutinized for the way they look or the way they're behaving, not being um, quiet enough or shy enough or thin enough. And so it, it felt like as, as someone who has acted and and grew up wanting to be an actress. It made sense to set the film in that world, but I also hope that it resonates with women who aren't actresses as um, how it kind of feels just to be a woman in general. The other thing that seems like a definite parallel there from the, the movie world to, to the day-to-day -day world also is in the sense that these two actresses are also um, typecast, mm -hmm. or there's like two types of, there's the roles, and their yeah. careers are going in different direction. And a lot of it, at least the way I was interpreting it was 
this kind of ideal sense of what it is, like the ideal embodiment of yeah, femininity. femininity. Totally. And they seem to be struggling with it both in looking at each other and it's just like this heightened sense of jealousy because it also leads to the roles that they're getting right. in one's career is going different. So it's, yeah. like, it's like kind of taking like issues from around the world and kind of this hypersense because then yeah. Hollywood is also not creating, right. it's kind of putting them into They're these. boxing them in and I think women in general have this, I hope it's changing, but I think for a while women had this scarcity mentality that there's not so much to go around so I really have to look out for myself and I can't help other people and, and viewing other women as competition rather than as allies. I think is something that in my life I really encountered and and again in Hollywood especially with like the roles that are available to women you're literally competing with other women who look like you for the for the one part and um, I think that can create a lot of uh, trauma for women and it makes it really hard to have supportive female friendships um, and that's changing for me a lot lately and I don't know if it's because like that's maybe something that happens when you're younger and you work it out and mm -hmm. but I but I Youth, or maybe it's because more women are being vocal and talking about feminism. Um, that's become part of the public conversation. But yeah, for a really long time in my life, I had a really hard time maintaining relationships with other women because they seemed like such a threat to my ability to do what I wanted in a way. The starting point from this really like these really negative, horrible feelings of jealousy and competitiveness and not being able to just yeah. make a movie a little bit like processing. Totally. I, I would say that around 2011, which is when Lawrence and I started talking about making this a movie, I was going through that experience of just feeling really alienated from a lot of my female friends, and, and, and I was kind of acting out. But it's something that my whole life is something that I struggled with, which is just constantly, it's so funny, like I can track all of the friendships in my mind where I was like, that person's beautiful, that person's feminine, I wanna be like that person. I wanna be close to that person so that I can be friends like that person and maybe I'll learn how to be beautiful and feminine too. And then the process of getting to know them just leads to all of these resentments and all of this competition and then I, you know, I would destroy the friendship just because I was so insanely jealous of how successful they were. Like, you know, in high school the perfect popular beautiful girls who were able to just like fold themselves up in this tiny little box and move their bodies in a specific way in order to seduce men and not be super aggressive all the way up to you know fairly recently when I would be friends with actresses and just be like why are they getting the part it's because they're shy and it's because they're not like you know challenging these men and men can't handle being challenged but the whole time what was really going on was that I hated myself mm -hmm. and I was trying to be someone that I'm not and I was mad at myself for not fitting into that idea of things but yeah and so so when we decided to make this movie I was like I guess th those feelings kind of ebbed and flowed in my life and I was at a real ebb or flow of these, the lower, of this, part. The lower <laughs> part of this negativity and I started talking it was the first time where I really started talking about these feelings with other women and other women saying, oh, I, I, I also feel like a failure as a woman. I also feel like what movies and magazines tell me to be is not who I'm capable of being. And it really eats away at my self-confidence. And so through that, through those conversations and through talking with Lawrence about his feelings of mm -hmm. not fitting into the masculine ideal of being super successful or rich, or he cries a lot, feeling like he's we should Lawrence is your husband oh, and yeah. frequent collaborator. And frequent collaborator and brilliant writer who wrote the script mm -hmm. to Always Shine. Mm -hmm. And he was like, it was in 2011, like Heat Green came out, my first feature, and I was getting like a really small amount of attention, but like for us, it was a lot of attention mm -hmm. and people were really giving, it was a very collaborative 
movie where Kate and Lawrence and I all, Kate Shield and Lawrence and I all, all like improvised and, and it was very um, collaborative and I, but I was getting a lot of the credit for the movie and I think that was really challenging to him because he was used to, I, you know, he's a man so like maybe it's a little unmooring to have a woman getting more attention in, as a director opposed to as an, I don't know, there was like all this co these complex feelings that Lawrence was also feeling at the time that he related to and thought, and that's why he wanted to help work on the script and write the script because he really related to what I was going through from a masculine point of view. And I think that's gotta be also such, um, I mean collaboration is always so helpful, but I, I'm thinking of myself here, putting myself if I was in your shoes where I was feeling all these intense feelings and feeling and processing it all I think sometimes when you're in that phase, trying to sit down and write a script, which needs to be a little bit more concise and a little bit, yeah. you have to have like a specific way in. And to have a collaborator, who your husband's obviously a very good writer as well, who can, he's turned this into a very, I mean lean in a positive yeah, way, yeah, yeah, like a very totally. directed, very in, in the way. And then being able, also someone that is so, in, is in so in touch with how you're feeling and like what these larger issues are. And I just think that's something I notice with a lot of directors when they are starting with something like that, mm -hmm. their journey to getting the script themselves when it's something so personal yeah. is so hard, right? Is yeah. That this was a real struggle too. Um, I think, yeah, I was going through a lot and there was like a, I don't know what the word is not a power dynamic, but just like a lot of negotiation about who had the final say. There was a period of time where I thought I wanted to act in the movie and he mm -hmm. was gonna direct it, and then I changed my mind. So like, I think he felt a little frustrated by that. Mm -hmm. And um, and certainly uncovering these feelings and, and being really honest was ultimately really cathartic and helpful, but it was definitely hard while we were writing. I have to imagine it's also a really, my, my wife works in film industry oh, and, cool. and the idea that we would ever collaborate on a project is like zero. So, <laughs> uh, but um, it, it, that's just kind of our dynamic. But one thing, in moving away from the fact that you're a husband and wife, the other thing that's really interesting is, is that there are a lot of collaborators who share a lot of, obviously, ideas and approaches and like, like some movie, but normally that kind of goes in like a co-world, like right. a code. And what's fascinating is I've seen Wild Canaries. It's a, it's a, it's a great movie oh, in green and, and, and it's like, your projects are separate. Like this yeah. is Sophia's movie and that's this. Yeah. And so there's gotta be this, and normally for that type of collaboration, it's it's not different types of projects, it's working on the right. same project. So that's gotta be an interesting. Yeah, I think that the re I think that we could never co because we both mm -hmm. are very strong-minded mm -hmm. and the only thing that like keeps us from arguing for two or three weeks at a time is that the person whose original idea it was and who is gonna be the director, mm -hmm. gets the final say. So there were a lot of arguments where Larry was like, no, I really want this, and I would just eventually be like, no, I have the final say, we can't keep arguing about it. So my understanding is you, you script's kind of in some form of shape, like kind of ready-ish, like 2012-ish, this is a few years ago. Yeah, 2012. Okay. And Green, which was your first film, has a little bit of an improv feel. Mm -hmm. A little sense I got was it went from idea to shooting Really quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah. And so I have, I have a sense that with this film, on a lot of different fronts, there was a, a, a need for something a little bit more, like a sense of like you... In, yeah. It was that a little bit of the break of 2012 to 2014 is like needing resources, needing to kind of move this film onto a, a, 
not only a different level in terms of audience, but also a different level in terms of how you made it. Yeah. Not that kind of like yeah. improv small. Right. Yeah, I, I really wanted to, there were a lot of things that I wanted to do differently. One was to work with a proper script mm -hmm. and not do it improvised, um, to have that, like you said, like a lean focused story. Um, and to work with actors who I didn't know so that I could really challenge myself as a director to be a better communicator and to work with a cinematographer that didn't that I hadn't worked with before, although Mark Schwartzbord had shot Wild Canaries, which we shot in 2013, but I had never worked with him as a director and just to have to articulate my my visual style and to work with an editor who I so instead of editing it myself mm -hmm. and all of these things just to like really push myself forward as a director. Um, and and that was part of why it took so long. I mean, part of why it took so long also was just like actors kept agreeing to do it and then dropping out and then the money would come mm -hmm. in and out. And it was really challenging for, I was supposed to originally shoot it in the fall of 2013 and then like two weeks before we were supposed to start shooting it and actors dropped out and then the money fell through and then- The body is casting it contingent. It was like supposedly not, but it really was. They were like, no, yeah, you can get someone else. And then like two weeks later, they're like, oh, you couldn't get anyone else? Never mind. Yeah. So that was hard for me because one of the things that <laughs> one of the things that um, felt kind of cool that I didn't realize was going to feel so cool was the the strange validation that you get from having um, like a famous person say they want to do your movie. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden, people wanted to give me money, and all of a sudden, people wanted to other actors wanted to read the script, and and that was really exciting to me. It felt like I was moving forward, but then when all of that kind of temporarily fell apart because I ended up getting some really amazing actresses. Um, I realized that I hadn't actually learned anything from the process of making the movie and I was still like valuing celebrity and still valuing external approval so much. And it almost feels like part of the catharsis and part of the my own um, self-exploration uh, was to go through that process so that I wouldn't hold on to that need for validation anymore and so that was a really interesting thing to go through because I was like a mess while that was going on too anytime someone would drop out I would like cry for days and feel like it was totally life or death and that no one would ever want to be in my movie again and then I like talked to Mackenzie and Caitlin and was just knew that they were absolutely the actresses I was meant to work with and it all felt like it was meant to be but it was definitely a learning process the other thing that's different uh, for this film from green because there's, there's some similar themes um, is the adding the genre element, mm -hmm. which for this film I love just because oh, cool. um, you take all these kind of, I think, emotions that people are, can very much familiarize themselves with on a day-to-day -day basis, but then to in the, be able to dial them up so mm -hmm. that they feel dangerous and they feel, and you're also able to do these performances where everything kind of feels like on the edge of a knife here in terms of like how far they're able to go with that. Was that a conscious effort or was this something where you always just saw it? Yeah. Or is this something that you wanted to step in the direction of? It's of definitely something that from the very beginning, I knew it, like Green has some scary music, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, but nothing scary actually happens. And we kind of like discovered that tone halfway through the shoot and mainly in the edit. And, um, and that's one of those dangers of kind of making a film like that is you make discoveries yeah, totally. as you go, which sometimes can be great, but then sometimes you. Yeah, you it was can't like more. It, yeah, add, totally. Add a genre element. Yes, to it. and that was more of just like, how do we make this movie just like a little less boring and mumblecorey? But, um, but one of my friends, this guy Simon Barrett, who's a horror writer, sure. saw that movie 
and was like, that was really good, but someone should have died. <laughs> and I remember just like, like just thinking about that so much and just be like, okay, next time someone's gonna die. And another reason why, I, and so, you know, so we knew right away we wanted it to be a genre movie and really push it in that direction. And a lot of the movies that were ins inspirational or influential were movies from the 70s that had a psychological thrillery feel. And then the other thing was just like, I was watching a lot of, I was witnessing a lot of low budget horror movies coming out that a lot of people were going to see that I thought were kind of misogynistic. And like, I didn't like the way women were being portrayed as just like a pair of tits running around screaming. And I wanted to contribute something to that that was different and, and hopefully would be entertaining enough that the same people who are watching those movies that exploited women might watch this movie and, you know, reflect on their culpability and how women feel they're supposed to behave. In drawing from those 70s films, um, there's, the, the film has a lot of long takes. It's got a lot of these slow zooms and either they start in an intense close-up or they end up in this intense close-up. Is that something you were specifically drawing from some, oh, totally. for some of those films? Yeah, like Robert Altman movies um, for sure. Like Three Women and Images were two movies that I watched with my DP over and over and over again. And I always knew, that was like the one thing I knew from the very beginning was like I wanted a lot of slow zooms. Mm -hmm. That was something we talked about for a while. And I really love long takes in general. Green had a lot of long takes too, where I just love to watch actors perform and to not, you know, there, I think there's some really cool editing in this movie, but it's usually during transitions mm -hmm. ra rather than in the scenes. And I just like, when I'm watching actors act, I just want to watch them. And especially a movie where so much is subtextual, mm -hmm. like just watching their reactions to each other and what's going on underneath the surface. And Mackenzie and Caitlin are such amazing actors to watch and had so much going on. It made it really easy to shoot it the way I had imagined. What about the, like, I mean, you kind of announced this pretty early on, but there's a lot of times it's not just a close-up. We're, we're getting really, and they're very intense. Yeah. Often, especially with the music, mm -hmm. and you're, you're kind of often, I feel like, I've only seen it once, but it feels to me like the, the kind of horror score is kind of like really kind yeah. of kicking in there in the zoom. What, what about, I, I, it was very effective, but I wasn't able to really, what, what was the idea behind this like kind of intensity of the close-up often tied to performance, maybe in real life or in, hmm. in the thing, or is it, is it just kind of how you know. saw it? It's just how I saw it. I don't know if I have like an intellectual reason for that. I mean, I know that especially the close-ups of the women looking into the camera was a way of trying to draw the audience in and break down this idea that like a performance on screen is any different than a performance in real life and that everyone's constantly performing. Um, and so maybe that's why I wanted to be close. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I really wanted the audience just feel like they were part of it in a way to remind them that they're, they're having, placing their own expectations on those two women and everyone else around them. There's, um, I'm thinking in particular, I think we actually have this clip on the website. I think you guys gave it to us of, um, there's this amazing scene on the on the deck between the two of them. And so it's a, I don't want to ruin too much. I mean, it's obviously, a, it's a big kind of confrontation moment. Um, and it's a particularly long take. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just wondering from a, there's a couple kind of two questions. Using that, we could be talking about the whole movie, but specifically, I think that might be the easiest one to talk about. Um, the performance and finding between the two of them, it's like things become so heightened. Uh, uh, there's almost like a hyper emotionalism in mm -hmm. the in the performance, which is really 
tied to with the camera getting closer and the music is kicking in. I'm wondering, in terms of finding that balance of what that was like, something that feels very realistic and tied to the characters, but also something that's kind of amped up a little yeah. bit, is that, especially for a long take, is that something where you've, working with um, Mackenzie and Caitlin beforehand, you, you are kind of like, almost like a musician trying to find the right tone yeah. and the beat uh, ahead of the time? The modulation? Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, again, Mackenzie and Caitlin just, they understood the material so well and really knew where their characters were at every mm. moment in the script. And I feel like as a director, that's part of your job when you're shooting a film out of sequence is to just sort of be like, okay, well, here's what happened the night before and here's, you know, here's where you're going, so maybe this is where you want to, but they just like, Mackenzie just killed that scene. She just knew exactly how to do it. So they had a sense. They have a, yeah, they had a sense for sure. And is that also something where I, I, I asked because you got to see the rehearsal and you got to see them just kind of sitting there doing it, whereas we only get to see it in this awesome shot that's mm -hmm. kind of moving in and they're moving in and the music's coming up. Is it something where, like, if I had just watched the two of them play that, that might have played a little bit more like a drama, like a straight-up drama? Like, you could yeah. have made that could have just been... I think, I think even without the music, if you were just... Like, that day, I remember so vividly because it was really fucking scary. Mm -hmm. Like, Mackenzie was really fucking scary that day. Right. So, yeah, it would have maybe played more as a drama, and music definitely makes it seem scarier, but she seemed really scary on that day, too. <laughs> There's an intensity to it. Um, yeah, it's great. It's a, it, that was one thing I was just thinking about because it was just this, the, you're finding this kind of balance between a drama film and adding these horror yeah. elements. And I just kept wondering how much of watching these two perform. Yeah, totally. And how much of that is amped up because of the filmmaking elements that you're adding right. onto it and how much of it is kind of in there. Yeah, I think it's, I doing. think it's like kind of maybe hard to, a movie that, you know, is the most amazing horror movie ever, I think, is The Shining. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, like, those performances are really scary. And, but like, if you watch him, until he like really goes crazy, like he's just acting like in this way where if it wasn't, if you weren't like being prepped to think it was a horror movie, he, it, have you seen that funny, <laughs> like fake trailer for that Shining as a yes, romantic comedy? Yes, a romantic comedy, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, I think music and, and cinematography certainly plays a part in like how genre, like what genre the movie falls under, but. Mm -hmm. I think that like actors bring a lot of depth and fear to the characters that they play in horror movies too. Narratively, the film is really interesting because it's not easy to make a film about two people. I mean, obviously there could be two leads, but there's usually like a third triangle right. or something here. Um, and not that there aren't men that are coming in and out that are kind of playing roles for them to bounce off of, but um, to just have a film about two people's relationship like that um, is, isn't from a narrative standpoint always easy, but at the same time you're also doing something where you're playing with the subjectivity where it seems like it switches halfway yeah. through. Is that is that a little bit, was that kind of like built into design? Is that something that you knew you wanted to do going in? You mean like the char per character switch? Well, no, 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 no. Oh. That, well, that was, spoiler I didn't mean, I didn't mean, I meant. Spoiler uh, alert. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert, spoiler alert. Um, no, I'm talking more of a sense of, um, in the beginning, it, uh, the film feels like I'm grounded with oh, Beth. Sub yeah, yeah, subjectivity. Yeah. Totally, that was from the I'm kind of seeing it through um, the Caitlin Fitzgerald character, yeah. and then there's a moment where, yeah. not that they're not both significant roles, more kind of a subjectivity in where totally. I am as a viewer. That was definitely something I thought of. Like I was like, ah, oh, a movie that like uses the psycho device, where you just like are with one character, and then like it switches perspectives, and you're aligned with a different character. Because, yeah, that was important to me. 
Because I think as you as you watch the movie, you realize that Beth is playing a role too. Like she's not just this perfect person; she's got more going on. But she's able to present as this really likable person at first. And I really wanted to play with this idea of like the girl that you see who's like being super nice and mm -hmm. you know flirting with you and being shy and coy actually like has some daggers too. She's not, you know, she's not perfect. And there's something I think maybe dangerous to what I think the overall message of your film is if we only stay with like a Beth character or yeah. of seeing that, like, which is, I, I think overall, and I don't want to ruin where you're going with this, but I mean, overall, it seems as if even the, there's a danger in settling into one perception totally. of femininity yeah. and what is the ideal. And yeah, I think, it, Oh, sorry. No, no, it's just that I think there's also something that's just kind of playing with it with movies, which is like you're clearly playing upon the movie element, which is kind of breaking the way that women are up on screen, but that you're clearly also saying this kind of applies to all of our lives, yeah, too, totally. right? Yeah, totally. I think so, yeah. For me, like, I think Anna's journey is going from someone who's trying so hard to be this idea of who she thinks she's supposed to be and, 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 can't, and can't find her own center and she can't find her own value outside of how she's getting treated from other people and 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 then by the end of the movie has accepted kind of her aggression and her anger and wrestled with literally wrestled with this idea of who she's supposed to be and confronted it in a really real way and then in the end she has come out on the other side as someone who's more self-actualized and and, and synthesize these two parts of herself. And for me, that's like a, that was a big thing for me, was just accepting the darkness inside of me not, and, then, and not judging it, and just sort of like cultivating this objective observer of just, that's my jealousy, and it's okay that I'm feeling jealous, it doesn't make me bad. I don't know how guys feel, but I know that I think a lot of women feel that they have to be totally perfect, and part of that perfection is not having negative feelings towards other women. Like those are ugly feelings, I'm not supposed to yeah, have Yeah, I'm not those. supposed to be jealous, I'm not supposed to be competitive, I'm supposed to be happy for my friends. And, and I think that just by pretending that those things don't exist, it makes them have a stronger hold on like your insides and can kind of cause you to go crazy. And especially in this culture that's like totally celebrity obsessed and, and everyone's always like looking for external validation and presenting an image of themselves on Instagram or wherever and just like, no one wants to acknowledge the messiness or the darkness. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but my sense is, is that you're moving away from acting and moving towards filmmaking in a more in, a, in the process of making yeah. this film. I'm curious. Maybe this isn't a fair question, but um, is some of this competitiveness that you've kind of captured in this ugliness that kind of exists in the in the acting world, which I think is just kind of inherent of the competitiveness for a mm -hmm. small amount of rules. I'm wondering in this moment, in this time, if there is a sense of uh, camaraderie, a sense of support from female filmmakers now that, you know, this is your yeah. second feature. And I certainly have a lot of female filmmaker friends who are really nice and I love, mm -hmm. I still get jealous of them, but I don't, because there's a scarcity of like opportunities for female directors too. I guess what I'm getting at is, is, is there a sense of um, a rising tide brings up all the boats and that we're all in this together in this time where it's like, it seems as if, um, there's a real tension put on the lack of work that goes towards female directors. Yeah, and it definitely feels like a very support, I feel like I've found a very supportive community of female filmmakers. Some of my best friends, like Hannah Fidel and Ryder Zayang are just incredible 
Sarah Dina Smith are really amazing, Amy Simons, really mm -hmm. amazing filmmakers. And part of what I think maybe makes it easier for me to like not feel directly competitive with them is that part of what's so great and what I prefer about directing to acting is that I'm in control of the stories that I tell. And so, I mean, some you of create your role I create the role, my role as a director, and I create the material that I want to make. And and it's not like the four of us are all trying to. Well, I think some of them are maybe more interested in studio movies than I am. But like, we're not all trying to be the female director that they're trying to get for like mm -hmm. ex Hollywood movie. We're all like trying to make our own stories and tell our own stories, so that it feels like there's more room for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that. Yeah, so it feels really good to have that community, and also like male filmmakers are also really supportive too. Um, do you have a sense of what that next project might be? I do. I'm hoping to do it in the springtime, but I don't want to talk about it or just see it. But um, it, is, it has been really fun to like move away from acting. Oh, I want to say one more thing. Mm. Is that okay? Please. Well, because one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately that one of my actress friends actually said to me and really, really resonated with me is that. I had always wanted, I love, I've always loved movies ever since I was a kid. But I think that because there were so few female filmmakers to look to as role models, perhaps part of the reason why I gravitated towards acting was because that's just like where it seemed like women were supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And like finding my voice and finding a community of female filmmakers has been really exciting for me because I've started to realize that that's where someone like me who's naturally assertive and opinionated maybe thrives more. Um, and I hope that because of all these female filmmakers, like the ones I just mentioned, there will be like a whole other generation of women who don't feel like that in order to be creative and involved in movies, that acting is the only way to go. It's Julie Dash um, was saying something the other day about, um, I think her daughter, I don't want to mess this up, but I think her daughter's a post-production supervisor. Mm -hmm. And she was just saying that like, you know, she grew up while her and her friends were making movies. Yeah. So the idea of doing something, whereas when she was her daughter's age, the concept of being a yeah. post-production supervisor, it's like, what is, you know, like right, that. Totally. And I, I think that there's an element of that is that you just kind of, I mean, you people shoot for their goals and their dreams, but at the same time, it's like, it's seem, things seem more practical based on yeah. if there's models or if there's people totally. that, that. And that's know. why I think representation is so important behind the camera for like people of color and women. and. Mm -hmm. Um, as as important as it is on screen too. Um, so this is going to go up tomorrow. Um, so tell me, I know you were in New, the movie was in New York this weekend, right? So where, oh, it's playing it's it's playing through Thursday at Village East in New York, uh -huh. and then it opens on December second in Los Angeles and like ten other cities. I don't okay. know all of them, and on video on demand and iTunes and stuff. Oh, you're going. Oh, you're, it's day and date or, we, or sort of day and date. We can on Friday. People can mm -hmm. can pay for this. Yeah. Okay, on iTunes, perfect. Or you should Amazon. go see it. Go see it on the big screen, though. I think that's a better bet. But if you're not in one of those ten cities, yeah. yeah. Oscilloscope website has all the cities. All right. Sophia, it was nice to meet you. Thank you for coming. Hey, man. In. Thanks a lot.